This podcast is brought to you in part by the estate of Bob Nelson. Bob was a lover of all things San Diego and a longtime supporter of Voice of San Diego and its podcasts. We at Voice of San Diego are honored to have his support during his lifetime and continued support through his estate planning. Yes, I vote because I feel like as an African-American female, like I want my voice to be heard. Um, Conservative values. So I vote very conservative. So I try to vote for candidates that have very conservative viewpoints. Oh, I don't vote anymore now. Why not? Um, Just because I don't. I vote because it is our right to vote. And I take it seriously. This is San Diego Decides, a podcast by Voice of San Diego. I'm Sarah Libby, and I'm here with my pal, Rai Rivard. Hey, Sarah Libby. Welcome to our first episode of the podcast. We're really doing this. We are. I'm not stress eating a bag of Cheetos yet, but who knows what the future will bring. So today we're going to be talking about one thing, and that is endorsements. Do they factor into people's decision making? You know, how much do they matter in individual races? And we're also going to examine a few specific races that are going on right now and sort of the strange role that endorsements have started to play in a few of those. We're also going to talk with Brian Pepin, who's the new executive director of the Lincoln Club, which doles out a lot of endorsements. So I personally feel like I rely on endorsements in a lot of down ballot races where I don't know what's going on. I don't really understand what the roles are in some cases. Talking about community college boards and things like that. Judicial races, you know, if if some lawyerly group has said this person knows what they're doing, I feel like that's when I rely on endorsements. What about you? I view endorsements mostly as things that come into our inbox and as press releases. And they're uh, one group patting somebody else or a group of somebody else's on the back and saying, we support them. And, and maybe there's chicken dinners for some of those people. Maybe there's money for some of those people. And maybe there's eventually votes. But It's really just a lot of pieces of paper of people applauding other people. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because when I started to research endorsements for this podcast, I went straight to my trash (laughs) box. So I'm sorry that I just put that out there to all you PR professionals who probably, you know, are very disheartened to hear that that's where endorsements and a lot of other press releases go for me. But but that's where I look. I mean, they do, they do matter. I mean, if you're if you're a member of your union and you're active in your union and your union endorses somebody or you're, uh, you know, a conservative who doesn't know who to pick among and, and the Lincoln Club comes in and says, we've looked at these people and and they're good. Uh, that that that's a deciding factor. But but for us, it's just a lot of it's a lot of people saying other people are great. Yeah, but you're absolutely right. I mean, there are certain races in which it's really the only thing that matters. And, you know, if you look at what our colleague Mario Coran has been doing um, with his work reporting on the empty school board seat that people are now racing for, that's a case where the teachers union endorsement is just an enormous factor. And, you know, it could be argued that it's the only factor. When you have, you know, really ideologically similar or people with similar voting records running against each other, it's it's one of the only ways to, to make any kind of distinction. Yeah, but so the first case I think we're going to talk about is actually an endorsement that hasn't happened yet. So tell us about that. Okay, so back in 2007, District Attorney Bonnie DeManis said 
She wasn't going to endorse anybody unless uh, there were unusual circumstances. And apparently there's been some unusual circumstances since then because she's endorsed, you know, former Mayor Jerry Sanders when he was running, City Attorney Jane Goldsmith when he was running, not Mayor Carl DeMaio when he was running. Uh, She endorsed enough people after she pledged not to uh, that insiders started to call the whole thing kind of a joke. Anyway, now she's back on a non-endorsement, and that's of um, something that our colleague uh, Andy Keats pieced together over the holidays. Uh, That's Bob Hickey. He's running uh, for city attorney and is really looking for Dumanis' endorsement if if she'd give it, Uh, but she's not. He's got endorsements from... uh, Mayor Kim Faulkner, Sheriff Bill Gore, but but not his boss right now, and um, you know we're trying to figure out why that is because you're going to think at some point uh, Hickey, who's a conservative, is going to be up there on a stage going against somebody who's running against him, and they're going to say not even his boss likes him, and that that could be a problem. Absolutely, and you would think that if you know she feels like she needs to go out on a ledge for a mayoral candidate, then absolutely a city ter- attorney is is a position that would be you know, relevant to the work that the district attorney does, and it would be something that she would feel the need to weigh in on. But she's not. And it seems like there's some tension there. Uh, Back when he was the head of the Union for Deputy District Attorneys, he rejected uh, back in 2012 a $100,000 donation that would have boosted uh, Demanis's eventually unsuccessful run for mayor. Um, you know, the offer came from a Mexican national who's now been indicted for illegal political donations, but, you know, he turned it down. And then two years later, uh, he's still the head of, of the Deputy District Attorneys Association, uh, and he didn't endorse Dumanis in part, we think, because uh, she was running against one of his mentors, uh, Bob Brewer. Anyway, now there's a, he wouldn't endorse her, now she won't endorse him thing going on. Yeah, so kind of a, a standoff there. And I, I think that she has said She's considering all the candidates and she hasn't ruled out an endorsement. But that's one where it just seems very obviously political. And there are a lot of things going on behind the scenes. So a very strange situation in which you have this person who has kind of broken this promise not to endorse and just doled out all these endorsements. And now there's one that's a very obvious one for her to make. And she's saying, no, thanks. Absolutely. Very strange. But you mentioned earlier that one way that endorsements really can help people decide is when there are candidates with very similar voting records. Usually that's people in the same party running against each other. And we've seen that happen um, so far this you know, election season. And there are two races that come to mind, two inter-party battles um, that actually have now wrapped up. But I think the endorsement kind of tussles that they broke open are still revealing a little bit. So the first one is Tony Atkins and Marty Block. So Marty Block has already bowed out of this race, said, you know, I can't I can't compete with Tony Atkins. But for a while they were really duking it out at these really tiny democratic clubs across town and just really trying to eke out, you know, whoever they could get on their side. So I talked to former Congresswoman Lynn Shank a while back when when this tension was playing out. And she said something that I thought was so interesting, and she really bent over backwards to emphasize this is not a vote against Marty, but I really feel obligated whenever there is a pro-choice woman in the race, I have to go with that person. And so just sort of admitting in a way that this wasn't about a certain issue that she felt Atkins was stronger on, this wasn't about you know, I have this history with her. It's that I have set this sort of 
guideline for myself and this is what I'm going to use to make endorsements. And so I thought that was really fascinating. And then you talked to somebody who worked with the city employees union who also kind of had their own reasons for weighing in on that race that weren't necessarily because one candidate was better than the other. Yeah, the old the old name, uh, Mike Zuckett, who's now the, the head of the San Diego Munici- Municipal Employees Union. You know, th- there were some unions, if you remember the, the umbrella, the San Diego Imperial County's Labor Council sort of said they were going to stay neutral. But there were some unions uh, in the Block Atkins race while it lasted that came off the sidelines and uh, said, you know, we're going we're gonna to pick among friends. And one of the, the interesting things uh, when the municipal employees made their endorsement is it, it looks like they were thinking about um, uh, Adkins had been involved in, in city politics in a way that Block wasn't. She was on city council. She was mayor for that, that brief period of time. And Zuket told me, he said, uh, we've worked closely with her for more than a decade and we support her unconditionally, even when it is against a great legislator or friend like Marty Block. And, you know, you got to think Speaker Adkins around City Hall for a while, rumored to maybe be going back someday, uh, that you have to you have to factor that in when you're when you're making you a bet. You got to play the long game. Got to play the long game. Yeah. So, I mean, in both of those cases, you have people where they're deciding to weigh in and there were plenty of people who didn't who really just waited it out and the I don't want any part of this and that you know ultimately I guess that paid off for them because they didn't have to make a choice but but the people who did weigh in are saying we're picking a side but it's not necessarily because this is the right person for the right job at the right time it's because of all these other factors absolutely although you have to wonder the people that came off the sidelines before it was over uh, you wonder if that's when you know who your friends are and the people that came off against you and went for block. You have to wonder if uh, now you know who your friends aren't sometimes. Awkward. So there was another battle between two members of the same party that is now over. Things are really fizzling fast, um, which is sad for people like us, I think. But this was the race for county supervisor between Diane Jacob, who has held this seat for a long time representing East County, and Joel Anderson, who's currently a state senator. And I think it surprised a lot of people in that the Republican Party weighed in immediately, almost. They went in for Joel Anderson, which was surprising because the incumbent was a Republican. And they went in in a big way by giving him an enormous amount of money. And again, our friend Andrew Keats has reported on now that he's out of this race, he's decided not to run for supervisor in 2016 He still gets to keep that money, which is great for him because the day after they made that donation, the rules actually changed. And now there are much stricter limits on what parties can contribute to these campaigns. So he's in a pretty good position. He has has a war chest that cannot be replicated quickly. Quite a war chest. Yes. And so things are looking good for him, but he really was able to win over party bigwigs. You know, Diane Jacob has had a lot of fights with SDG&E over the years, which might rattle some people in the Republican Party. And Joel Anderson has always been a friend to developers. So, But I was still surprised personally that that they went in so quickly and in such a big way for a fellow Republican against an incumbent. So that was, you know, things are weird out there, man. (laughs) Hard out there for a would-be nominee. It, It is. It always is. So the third race that we want to talk about where endorsements have played a very strange role this cycle is the mayoral race. Now, it may shock you to learn that there is a mayoral race. 
But I assure you, <laughs> it's happening, sort of, I guess. Anyway. They say. They say. Whoever so, Lori Saldana, who's a former state legislator and for a long time a member of the Democratic Party, is now running against Kevin Faulkner as an independent. Lori Saldana has decided to challenge Kevin Faulkner, and her reasoning is just sort of like, there should be a race. You know, we should talk about issues. Voters deserve to get to hear your position, and you shouldn't just get to coast back into office, which is fair. And and I think the mayor, <laughs> after she announced, said, you know, I want to exchange ideas with you. Right. I haven't really seen any exchanging of any ideas That's to true. this point, but apparently it's going to happen at some point. So really looking forward to that. Yeah. But so one thing that came up immediately as Lori Saldana announced that she was going to jump into this race was an endorsement that she had made a couple years earlier. So we're not talking about she's trying to court other Democrats, but Lori Saldana, like plenty of people in the Democratic Party, endorsed Bob Vilner for mayor. And like I said, other people did that. Not a very surprising move for her. But it was surprising in the sense that after all hell broke loose with Filner, she revealed that she had sort of known all along that he had problems with women and that women were accusing him of harassment and that she had actually warned party leaders, you know, before he was elected that this was a big problem. And so, you know, Liam Dillon, our former colleague, um, was the first person to sort of talk to her about her mayoral bid and said, you know, what's the deal? You endorsed Filner, having known that he had all these problems. And her answer was really surprising to me, where she, you know, at the time, she had said sort of, just something basic, like, well, I was kind of bullied into it. They said we all had to endorse Filner, which makes sense. But um, she kind of got into it in more depth with Liam and said that she herself had been a victim of sexual assault and that that really factored into her decision-making process where she said that she didn't want to bring this up while her father was still alive. Her father has since passed away and she's comfortable now identifying herself as a victim of sexual assault, but that she really felt bullied into making this endorsement over her own personal objections, which is a pretty powerful, you know, thing to reveal to people. Very, very. So I wouldn't be surprised if it continues to be an issue if people say, look, you you still stuck up for this man when you knew that, that there were issues, and, and that's a fair criticism. But I just thought her explanation was really provocative and kind of a lot more honest than... A lot of politicians Not one get. That you could have. She got real. Could have. Yeah, you couldn't have guessed that one. Yeah, no, she got real with us. Yes. So, real talk featuring Laurie Saldana. And now we're going to talk to somebody who actually makes endorsements or helps make endorsements. Brian Pepin, the new executive director of the Lincoln Club. He's been around uh, politics for a while, but he's new to the Lincoln Club, and he's going to talk to us about what they're up to. So we are talking with Brian Pepin, who's the executive director of the Lincoln Club. And we just wanted to get your take on how endorsements work in San Diego. And the first thing that I wanted for you to kind of clear up is, could you just give us a sense of how endorsements work at the Lincoln Club? Um, I assume candidates who are already members maybe have a good shot at getting an endorsement, but what does the process look like? The Lincoln Club's endorsement process is actually a very thoughtful process. When Ryan Klumner was the 
executive director there, the club went on a mission to make sure that we had a very thoughtful endorsement policy that took a lot of input from all the members of the club. Uh, there was actually a political affairs committee, which was open to any member of the club that could show up and provide their input on how the endorsement process should work at the club. And that uh, policy was then adopted by the board of directors. So it's uh, a very thoughtful policy. It's not the good old boys club that uh, some might think it would be where just, you know, they endorse whoever they feel like that day. The, the political affairs committee of the club, which is again, open to any member, looks at qualifications, viability, and distinction of the candidates. And they make their recommendations to the board of directors who then adopt those or not. Cool. So when I was doing some research about different groups and how they make their endorsements, I came across the San Diego County Republican Party's website, and they actually have a form that they ask uh, candidates to fill out when they're seeking the party endorsement. Um, And I noticed that there were a lot of entries on the form that were basically like red flags. It seemed like from my reading, have you ever gotten a union endorsement? And please explain why. Have you ever gotten endorsed by a member of another political party? And please explain why. Do you guys have any sort of like red flags that you're looking for? Or is there anything that's a deal breaker? Well, the Lincoln Club is a nonpartisan pro-business political action committee. So we have a questionnaire that we send to our candidates who are seeking our endorsement that focuses on their perspective on business issues. And uh, we really keep it narrowly focused there. Um, You won't find questions about have you ever supported a Democrat or a Republican or anything like that. We want to know if they're going to be a good pro-business candidate and if they understand the elements of their office that they're seeking that will impact our local economy. So that's what we're mostly focused on. But even within the confines of that, would like support for a minimum wage increase or anything like that kind of, is there a checklist that you go through? No, there, our endorsement uh, questionnaire is, is very focused on business issues and, and there are, uh, you won't find red flags like that. Got it. So when we talk about endorsements, I feel like the focus is almost uniformly on the candidates and what kind of benefit they get out of it, but it's not really a one-way street, right? I assume that there's a lot in it for your group too. Otherwise, why would you do it? And it probably benefits you to have people out there saying, look, I have the support of this group. Isn't that wonderful that that they like me? Absolutely. Uh, Candidates are, when they're seeking our endorsement, it's very important to them that they have the endorsement of the Lincoln Club behind them if they are a pro-business candidate and they want to promote that. You know, endorsements in, in local politics are really important in two ways. Individuals are usually looking for the uh, the resources that come with an endorsement. In, in the Lincoln Club's case, you know we you know we, we encourage volunteers, we uh, encourage people to get involved in those candidates' campaigns. Uh, the, the other reason that endorsements are important is you know if it's an individual endorsing a candidate, uh, that can sway voters sometimes. You know, in, in recent years, we've had Father Joe, who's you know a beloved San Diego figure, get more involved in endorsing candidates, and so uh, you see those sort of two reasons that candidates will usually seek an endorsement. So I'm going to put you on the spot, Rye. I'm going to put myself on the spot, Sarah. Yes. I'm talking endorsements. Yes. Let's say you are running for something in San Diego County. I don't know what it would be. Right. You're going to run. Yeah. So you're getting money together. You're, you're doing all the things. 
what endorsements are you going to court? Who do you think would really be a game changer for you and why? So I thought Boltman would be good for me. <laughs> sure. I just feel like he Those shows up. Rippling muscles. He's passionate. He's there. He looks good on television. Got it, Gets a lot of earned media for me. But then I also thought, you know, going back, since so many local races have sometimes ended up talking about things that aren't really local issues at all, national issues, that I'd probably take two at least of the, the founders, the founding fathers. Oh. You know, I don't know, maybe Jefferson. Maybe. You're going to get a retroactive Jefferson yeah. endorsement. I'm That's going to affect me as a voter. If I know Thomas Jefferson has, has endorsed you. And, you know, that's powerful. And some for diversity, I probably wouldn't take John Adams, but I'd take Abigail Adams. Yeah. Um, just mm-hmm. so I could have, you know, some some diversity of opinion from, from the early days of the party system. Wow. I, I hope that's not, that's not a little cheap, but I figure that would really, that would really seal the deal. Uh, it's with not going to lo- hurt. With low information voters, because they're in their textbooks. You see, you see them all the time. I would love to see that. Now yeah. I want to manage someone's <laughs> campaign and, you know, tout this person was endorsed by Abigail Adams. <laughs> Thomas Jefferson and Boltman. <laughs> yeah. Thomas Jefferson and Boltman approve of Ryvervard. Yeah. Wow, that's powerful. Well, but what would you take? Okay, well, now that we've brought history into this, I don't know if I can compete. So the few that I thought would be kind of powerful would be, I came up with two politicians who are still in the public eye, but aren't really involved in any big tense battles right now. So they're kind of clean in a way. And those are Donna Fry. Former city councilwoman Donna Fry, who supports a lot of women, women's issues, women candidates. That's something that I want to be part of my brand if I'm a candidate, for sure. Um, and the other one is Todd Gloria, who's technically in a race for the state assembly right now. But, you know, things are heavily in his favor in that contest. So I feel like he's somebody who has a lot of stored up goodwill from his time as, as interim mayor. He's got a lot of name recognition. People like him. He's a likable guy. Yeah. So the third, my third endorsement, I feel like maybe needs some explanation. Okay. So when I was living in Washington, D.C., getting ready to move to San Diego, I would come to visit my then boyfriend, now husband, a lot. And I would listen to some jams in the car, Mm -hmm. as one does. Yes. So... They have these, like, you know, top five songs of the day, you know, segments or whatever. Number one, always, for a long period of time, was this girl named Jessica Sanchez. Jessica Sanchez is a native of Chula Vista and competed on American Idol. And I am 99% certain that nowhere else in the country was she number one every night for months. (laughs) Just wasn't happening. But... People were crazy about Jessica Sanchez in San Diego. Native girl, super talented, I think has the ability to rally a lot of young Latino voters. She, um, when I covered the Democratic National Convention in 2012, she, she was on stage. So she's got a little bit of experience weighing in politics. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go after Jessica Sanchez. She's going to sing the national anthem at my campaign rallies or All whatever. Of them at the beginning? Every single one. Okay. It's going to be the Jessica Sanchez hour. And that's who I want to endorse me. I think she would bring in some people who maybe didn't care about 
politics or voting necessarily. I think yours is a lot more likely to help you in local races than mine and, and probably a bit more earnest. Abigail Adams, though. Tough lady. Tough broad. Truth. Carried out those paintings. Really helped us out. They say. <laughs> so we also asked uh, Brian from the Lincoln Club who he would court to endorse him in a hypothetical race that may or may not happen in the future. Here's what he said. Sure. Well, I personally believe that it's very important to, to be supportive of uh, local small business and creating a, a vibrant economy. And so I would certainly uh, pursue a Lincoln Club endorsement. And, you know, the Chamber of Commerce is doing a fantastic job with, with their um, endorsements and, and their uh, political engagement uh, in recent years. So, I mean, those are two great endorsements that I would seek. But, you know, it's up to each candidate. I mean, some candidates are, are single-issue candidates. I mean, they want the environmental endorsement above all else. Maybe they want organized labor. And, uh, and it really depends on, you know, what that candidate personally believes is important. All right. So we've reached the end of the road of our very first podcast. How are you doing? I'm good. So Ryan and I decided that we're going to end with uh, each of us are going to tell you about a favorite thing, maybe from the week, maybe from always. I'm going to go first because I think yours is really good to really close this out. My favorite thing is Oregon, the state of Oregon, where I am from. Beautiful country. Their new motor voter law. Oregon's really a pioneer of voting reforms. So they passed this motor voter law, which California passed more recently. Oregon's is kind of just now getting into gear. And since the start of the year, they have signed up 10,000 new voters. It was revealed this week. So I think that's maybe a, a snapshot of what's to come for California now that this is going to start happening here where we are. But just the turnout in Oregon is amazing. And part of that is because of this new law. And a big part of it is because um, Oregon is an all vote by mail state, which is another reform that I think people here are considering, which reminds me of a segment on the West Wing. Great show. But there is one instance where it's election day and the people in the White House are freaking out about all these various factors. And somebody says, it's raining in Oregon. <laughs> As if, like, the record's going to stop and, like, well, I don't know. Like, first of all, it's always raining in Oregon. Yes. <laughs> Never in history would that have been a factor on Election Day. But also, people don't stand in line at the polls in Oregon. That's just not a thing that happens. So, a little lazy, Aaron Sorkin. Really not a big deal. The West Wing. Uh, Oregon's got it under control. A lovely show. Doesn't really stand up to the modern political climate. Yeah. Uh, you look es back on it. But especially that. That's my favorite thing. What's yours? It's actually another Oregon-related thing. <sighs> so good. A Though, lot of Oregon. We're going to have to get some West Virginia in here. So I'm from West Virginia, of course. Sarah's from Oregon, of course. But I've been reading Sometimes a Great Notion, the Ken Kesey novel. Love him. And there's a passage really nice if you're along the West Coast anywhere, not just the Pacific Northwest. He says, all up and down the West Coast, there are little towns much like Wakanda up as far as Victoria and down as far as Eureka. Towns dependent on what they are able to wrest from the sea in front of them and the mountains behind them, trapped between both. Towns all hamstrung by geographic economies, by rubber stamp mayors and chambers of commerce, by quagmire time. Canneries all peeling dollar a quart army surplus paint. Mills all sprouting moss between curling shingles. Also nearly alike that they might be nested one inside the other like hollow toys. Pretty good. 
but good at the writing, Ken Kesey. Good at the writing, but San Diego, West Coast town, but far more beautiful. Yeah. All right. Thank you guys so much for listening to our first podcast. Bye.